Love Talk Radio. Well, good evening and welcome to the Word on Wednesday. I'm Pastor Winfred Burns of Word Worship and Witness Ministries, and tonight we continue our series traveling through 2 Samuel chapters 14 and maybe some of 15 tonight, and we are dealing uh, with the subject of just like your daddy. And before we go into a review of what we've done, let's have a word of prayer. And then as we're praying, we're inviting somebody tonight to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Eternal God, our Father, it's in Jesus' name that we come. We come into your presence. We come to your word dependent upon you. We depend upon you, O God, for everything. We thank you, O God, that you are allowing us into your presence because we don't deserve to be here. But we thank you for your son who died for us, who tore down that veil and allows us to come boldly before your throne, not as your enemies but as sons and daughters. And we thank you, God, that as we come, we come bowing at your throne, but we also come, Father, as delightful little children, knowing of your love for us. And we bask in that love, and we honor you tonight with our love toward you. We ask, O Father, tonight for your spirit. We need your spirit to lead and guide us through the word. We need to hear from your spirit tonight that we might understand what you're trying to convey to us. So we ask and we surrender ourselves, our minds, our hearts to you so we might learn what you are saying. And then, Father, we ask for the power to do what you teach us. Father, you know what's contained in tonight's lesson, and you know that that This is something that the enemy does not want us to know. So we ask, Father, that you would place a hedge of protection around us, that you would send your ministering angels unto us, and that you would help us as we walk through this particular section of your word. Oh, God, we need you. And then, Father, we pray for this broadcast. We pray that as it goes out over the air, that someone would hear become curious about you and ask what must they do to be saved. And we ask that you would provide somebody, a vessel, to be close by, to hear their cry, to minister and share the gospel with them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're out here tonight and you don't know Jesus, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, if you couldn't tell If I ask you the question, if you died today, where would you go? If you can't tell me that you're going to spend eternity with God, if you can't tell me that you're going to heaven, then you need to listen real close for the next couple of minutes. Because your sins have been forgiven. And we can, if you listen to me, if you listen, 
we can make sure that you understand that God has made a way for you to spend eternity with him in heaven. And he made that way by allowing Jesus to die for your sins. Jesus paid your sin penalty. Your sins had separated you from God. My sin had separated me from God. But because God gave me the opportunity to hear his word and to believe, and to believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, when he let me know what he had done for me, and I believed it, I got saved. And you can do the same thing, and all you have to do is believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for your sins, and you confess that with your mouth. You say it out of your mouth, from your heart, that I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and he died for my sins. And then you say, and I'm asking him to be my Savior. If you do that, if you pray that prayer, if you release those words in the atmosphere toward God, I can tell you that you're saved, that you have accepted the gift of God, Jesus Christ, which gives us eternal life and makes us sons and makes us alive in him. You do that tonight, you're saved. And not only that, you're a son, you're a daughter. And if you do that tonight, if you confess that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I ask him to be my Savior, and then you're saved, you're a son or daughter. And then I need you to do one more thing. I need you to find a Christian, somebody that you know is a Christian, I need you to find a Christian, I need you to find a church, I need you to find a pastor, and I, one, of the, one of them, and go to them and say, you know what, I just confessed to the Lord that I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and I ask him to be my Savior, and I'm saved, and now I don't know what, I'm, what to do. And they will begin to explain salvation to you even better than I've just done. They'll tell you, they'll teach you, they'll show you how to walk with God. They'll introduce you to the fellowship uh, of believers, integrate you into a Christian community, and you can learn how to walk with this new gift, the gift of eternal life. I pray that you've done that tonight, and God is going to bless your life in, in miraculous ways. Because now you've been born again. Amen? Okay, let's get to our lesson. Our lesson tonight is about a hater. And last week we went through um, a, a series of questions uh, that allowed you to know if you were a hater or not. And that's important for this week's lesson. I wanted you to have all week long to kind of mess around with that are you a hater thing that I did last week, and I'll review it real quick. But to set this into its proper context, okay, to set, to, to set this, I'm going to do a real quick review and catch you up with what's been going on. If you remember back in uh 2 Samuel chapter 12, David was messing around with Bathsheba, uh, got her pregnant, killed her husband, tried to play it off, and got caught 
by the Lord because the Lord saw what David had done. And he sends Nathan in to pronounce judgment over the sin of David. And if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 12, you'll see what what he says. And he, he pronounces a literally a curse on David's family. And he and he what he literally does is he allows David to reap what he sowed. Remember we talked about that, be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And David has reaped to the flesh, and so, uh, uh, or sown to the flesh, and so of the flesh he is now reaping corruption. Here, what in, here's a sentence that's passed out over David. Second uh, Samuel twelve ten. It says, "Now therefore, the sword will never depart from your house, because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says: Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you." And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And over the next couple of chapters, we see this curse played out. How do we see it played out? First of all, Amnon rapes Tamar, his sister. Absalom's sister Tamar is raped by Amnon. Absalom takes Tamar into his household, and he for two years he makes it seem like everything is all right. But then Absalom takes occasion to invite, and he tricks David and invites Amnon to a, 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 a celebration, and there he kills Amnon. Absalom flees. To his grandfather, who is the king of Geshur, he is mama's daddy. He goes there and he stays there for three years. David gets over his the hurt that he experiences for Amnon and he longs for Absalom. Joab sees this. He gets involved, sends a woman in, and then we learn a principle of God in chapter 14 when, because what the woman does is he set, she sets up a circumstance where mercy is the solution. And literally what she, what she does is she lays the groundwork for David to be merciful to Absalom because what should have happened to Absalom is because Absalom committed murder, the law says that he should be killed. But rather than kill him, David exercises a privilege that he has seen God use to provide mercy and we found that when we went through uh, the story of Cain and Abel, how um, when after Cain slew Abel and the sentence should have been death, 
and everybody and the destroyer should have came and got him, that God put a mark on him and said, No, you're going to live and nobody's going to do nobody's going to kill you. And it allowed David to extend this mercy. He uses this principle of God's mercy. And we see it in fourteen uh chapter fourteen verse four where this woman is talking and she says this she says like water spilled on the ground which cannot be recovered, so we must die. Now listen to this. But God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. And so what, he, what, 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 the way we, what he's saying here is that God's not looking to kill that boy. God's looking for a way to bring him back, to take him out of banishment and bring him back into fellowship. And it's similar to what, what we experience. We deserve death. The Bible teaches the wages of sin is death. But God devised a way that instead of dying for our sins, that we receive life through Jesus Christ. The Bible further tells us that God is not, is not looking for anyone to die. But he's constantly, he's constantly waiting for us to repent. He wants us to repent. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what the that's how it's worded. And so, what God is, what what, what we see here is uh, uh, this storyline. How number one, where we started in twelve twelve ten, the the curse is pronounced. Now, let me just say this. God didn't curse him. God does not curse him. What God does is he points out the fact, you've opened up the door to Satan, and now Satan is going to be allowed to come through. No blockage. Now, remember, his sins have been atoned for. Go back and read chapter 12 again. His sins have been atoned for, but the seeds of his sin are now allowed to grow in his life, and he's got to deal with that. And the principle that we said is that God will deal with the sin, but you have to deal with the seed. Okay, remember that. Now, so now we're ready. Now we're ready. Absalom has come home, and we're, and we're going to start our reading tonight at verse... Um, at verse 24 of chapter 14. So open your Bibles to there. Well, let me start at 23. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king said, he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own house and did not see the face of the king. Now, he's been gone for three years. Remember that. Put that put that three in your mind. He's been gone, and he has not seen his daddy for three years. He's been in exile for three years. And now he's going to be in exile in Jerusalem because he can't see the face of the king. Now, there's some implications there. 
First of all, Amnon was the crown prince before Absalom killed him because Amnon was David's oldest boy. Now, Absalom becomes the next in line to be king, but he cannot ascend to the throne because he's been banished and he's not at the king's table. And so another son has moved up into his spot. Remember that. Because you think you you might be thinking, oh, Amnon really wants to. I mean, Absalom really want to be with his daddy. Hold on to that thought, because I'm going to show you something. Verse 25: In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom, from the top of his head to the sole of his foot. There was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair from time to time when it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. Three sons and a daughter were born to Absalom. The daughter's name was Tamar, and she became a beautiful woman. Let's stop right there for a second. So what do we know about Absalom? First of all, Absalom is a pretty boy. He's a pretty boy with a whole lot of hair. As a matter of fact, what does it say? He says, there was no one, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance. Now that should point you to something and make you say, hmm, where have we heard about someone's handsome appearance? Where have we heard about somebody who 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 the people loved because they was pretty? Didn't we see something like that in with Saul? Wasn't Saul supposed was the tallest, prettiest man in the kingdom? And they selected him, and he was selected to be king. This points us toward people judging according to outward appearance. And that's still a trap that many of us will fall into. It's not just, it's, it's not just people seeing a, a pretty-looking man, a pretty tall man, and saying, ooh, he fine. What does God tell us to do? Well, as long as we in Samuel, let's go over to First Samuel. In the first First Samuel, we learned this. Uh, ooh, about it had to be at least about nine, eight, nine months ago. Um, go to First Samuel chapter sixteen. What to tell you to, when, how God looks at things? Because we've got to learn to look at things the way God looks at them. First uh, Samuel chapter sixteen. Verse seven. Or let's, let's, this is when Samuel is getting ready to uh, um, anoint David. He's, he's been sent to, to to find the next king of Israel because God has rejected old pretty boy Saul. He said, uh, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and and thought Eliab was. Um, was uh, uh, the oldest boy. 
when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So because God looks at the heart, we can ignore the outer appearance of Absalom, but instead let's look at some clues that tell us the condition of Absalom's heart. First of all, the first thing that we can see is that Absalom, and I'm going to say it the way I like to say it, Absalom ain't studying the Lord, and he's not thinking about obeying God. Well, how can you tell me that? Look at his hair. Did you not know that there were only two conditions that allowed an Israelite man to cut his hair. One of them was dedication to the Lord. One of them was dedication to the Lord. And the other one was for a Nazarite vow. That's the only time that they're supposed to shave their heads. But the reason Absalom is cutting his hair was for vanity's sake. And now, I don't know if there was, should have been a special uh, uh, prohibition uh, or a condition for him to cut his hair, because when they talk about his, his hair, uh, when he cut it every year, it was 200 shekels by the royal standard. Well, that's a little bit more than five pounds worth of hair. So, you know, I don't know how five pounds worth of hair feel because I've never had five pounds worth of hair. But I imagine you better have a strong neck if you got five pounds worth of hair on you. But it, it all went to his vanity. The only thing that he was cutting his hair for was vanity. So, first of all, his heart is vain. Put that down on the paper. Absalom is vain. He has a vain heart. It's all about him. Secondly, Absalom is filled with hate. Because what did we learn uh, during, the scene, during the scene about uh, um, with Amnon? It said, Absalom hated Amnon. The third thing is, that we learn about him is that he's a manipulator because he manipulated his daddy into letting his brother and the rest of his brothers come to that party knowing knowing that he planned to kill him. See, all of that is right there in front of our face. So we know that he's got a heart problem, and he does not have a heart for God. He's not paying attention to the word of God because he's violating the word of God. He wants to be the king. He was in line to be uh, the king after he killed Amnon, but now he's in internal exile in Jerusalem. And this crafty hater, this crafty hater is now manipulating himself into a position because he wants something. Because he wants something. And we're going to see what he wants. Here, 
go to verse 28. Now remember, we're looking at the condition of his heart. We're looking at the condition of his heart. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. So he was three years in exile, and you're sure. Now he's been back in Jerusalem for two years, and he has not been at the, seen the king's face. He has not had fellowship with the king. He has not been in the, at, at, at the royal table. He's a forgotten man, according to David. Now, why is David doing this? Some people suggest that he did it because if he's following what God did with Cain and just banished him and let him wander the earth, that's the same way David is doing him. That's the same way he's doing it. He says he don't even exist no more as far as I'm concerned. So Absalom lived two years, verse 28, without seeing the king's face. Then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king. But Joab refused to come to him. So he sent a second time, but he refused to come. Then he said to his servants, look, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servant set the field on fire. Then Joab did go to Absalom's house, and he said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom said to Joab, Look, I sent word to you and said, Come here so I can send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me if I were still there. Now then, I want to see the king's face. And if I am guilty of anything, let him put me to death. So Joab went to the king and told him this. Then the king summoned Absalom, and he came in and bowed down with his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Now, I want you to see this. I need you to see this real quick. He's got a bold heart. We, we called out him being a hater. We called out his... Uh, 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 um, his pretty boy ways and his arrogance, we, ca we call that out already. We call out that he's a hater, we, and now he's working this manipulative thing, and he don't care who he deal with. If you think about it for just a second, just for a second, this is Joab this boy messing with. Now, if Joab wanted to, Joab wasn't no punk. Joab could have came in there and put a whooping on him. But the only thing that Absalom has going for him at that particular time is that that's the king's son. Now, Joab, had tried, as they say, was a kingmaker. Because remember, it's Joab that's with David. And, and, and remember Abner? Joab took Abner out. So you don't, this, ain't, this ain't a guy that you want to necessarily mess with. But yet, this boy is so confident and crafty that he's going to make Joab do his bidding. What are you saying? What, what, what are we seeing here? Let me tell you what we're seeing. We're seeing hatred grow throughout this man. We're seeing what... what Hatred and his cousins gang up inside of a man. 
what we're seeing is the spiritual deterioration that comes from allowing hatred to be a part of your life. You see, hatred got some cousins. And hatred is not going to abide in you by itself. Hatred is going to bring some, some, some other spirits along with it to try to utterly destroy you. Hatred and pride are real close kin. When you allow yourself to hate, what you're doing is you are choosing pride and the way you want things to happen over the word of God. You see, pride is the opposite of humility. And God teaches us to humble ourselves. God teaches us the reward of humility. But pride is always, see, when you get that hatred and you just say, I'm going to do it, you know, I ain't ain't studying nobody, I ain't thinking about God, I'm going to do what I want to do. That's your pride talking right there. Your pride that has been birthed because you allowed yourself to be a hater. I'm going to show you something. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16. I'm going to show you what this hatred thing. Don't on Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16. See, when you let pride get a hold of you, you're in some big trouble. You're in some big trouble. Go Pro- Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Listen to what it says. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before fall. Pride is going to lead you to a place of destruction. Pride is going to be your downfall. That's the word of the Lord. And what, where does pride stem from? Well, pride is a work of the flesh. Go to Galatians chapter 5. We love, when we're studying, when we're, when we're studying the word of God, we love show, pointing out other folk mistakes. But this word is here to show us us. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my pathway. The word is going to show us where we're going wrong. That's why I spent all that time last week talking about uh, pointing out, are we haters? Go to um, Galatians chapter 5. Where does this pride come from? Because we're going to do something in a little bit with this pride. Galatians chapter 5. Let's see, Galatians chapter 5, I I think I'm going to start at uh, 19. Yeah, I'm going to start at 19. No, let me start at 16. I like like 16. I I, I love to remind us of this. So I say, 
Live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, look, listen to this. In, in the King James Version, it says, and the works of the flesh are these. But we're in the NIV, so it says this. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envies, drunkenness, orgies, and the like I warned you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is Absalom trying to do? Absalom wants the kingdom, but he's trying to attain the kingdom by works of flesh. Ain't happening. It's not going to happen. I know by the time we get to it, it's going to be anticlimactic, but I'm telling you right now because some of us are trying to do things through our flesh rather than by the power of the Spirit, and we're allowing hatred and pride to drive us. And what did the Scripture say? Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. The way that we go, if we travel the way of a hater, we're going to destruction. It ain't going to work. Now, when I just read this passage, and when you just read it with me, you saw a picture of Absalom. That's, what, that's, that's, that's a picture of Absalom. Look at him. Already. Sexual immorality. We haven't got that, part, got that far yet, but we'll see that later on. Impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. Witchcraft is manipulation. It's manipulation. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. Oh, is he ambitious or what? You know, and on and on and on. Let me get back there because I'm, I'm running into my time. I'm eating into my time pretty good right now. Okay, so... We need to look at, I'm going to take you a little closer. I'm going to take you closer to the fire. Remember, we looked at uh, uh, um, this hatred thing that's in Absalom and how it's manifesting in such a way and it's manipulated, it's manipulative. I want to show you the ultimate picture of a hater. And I want us to, well, let's look, first of all, I'm going to show you what pride looks like. How's that? And then I'll show you what a hater, what a real, what the ultimate hater looks like. Go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Um, Habakkuk chapter 2. Let's go there. Because Habakkuk really does a great job of defining. Um, if I get back here, I'm going to go too far. When I get to these minor prophets, hey, hey, yes, okay. Habakkuk chapter 2. Sometimes when you get the minor prophets and the, the pages start sticking together, you got to hunt the minor prophets out. Habakkuk chapter 2. I want to show you what 
pride really looks like because Habakkuk uh, describes it better than anybody. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Go there. Here it is. See, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the graves. And like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. That is not only what pride looks like, but it is the object of pride. Pride's objective is to gather the people, to be in control, to have the power. And how do they grab And they hunger for it. He's thirsting after power. He's not content with just being the king's son. He wants to be the king. He's what? Puffed up. I'm the pretty boy, and I know it. He's full of his own self. He's self-righteous. He doesn't live by faith. He's going to live by his own wit. He's going to live by his own cunning. He's going to live by his own rules. He's writing the program. He's large and in charge. He's going to do it his way. Arrogant, greedy, never satisfied, and after all power. Hmm, who resembles that definition? Turn to Ezekiel, the ultimate hater. Ezekiel chapter 28. Go there. See, that's why we don't want to be haters. Because when we are haters, we're not lovers. When we're lovers, when we're practicing the principles of God to love and obeying the commandments that Jesus gives us to love ye one another, we look like our daddy. But when we are haters, Guess who we look like? And guess who we act like? Ooh, this is getting ready to do. When I read it, I'm like, I won't I be like that. I won't be like that. No, I won't be like my daddy. I won't be like my daddy. Look at, look at Ezekiel chapter 28. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, say to the ruler of Tyre, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Oh, no, I want to go, uh-uh. I don't want to start over that. I read too much. Let me go over here. Let me go to verse 11. That's where I want to start at, 11. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, take up lament, a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, and emerald, crystallite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked 
dust among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God, and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground. In the sight of all who were watching, all the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a terrible end, and you will be no more. Who are we describing? We are describing the ultimate hater, Satan himself. And if we go back over, if we go back over to Second Samuel, do you see the parallels between Satan and Absalom, how hatred and jealousy and the desire to be the king have entered into the place that he is not anointed to be? Do you see where hatred and jealousy and pride and pride and pride and pride led to? And do you see what happens when we allow ourselves to get infected by hatred rather than overwhelmed by love? Absalom had a chance to forgive Amnon. But rather than forgive him, he hated him. Stop for a minute and think about that. Just stop for a minute and think about it. Is there hatred in your life right now? Are you doing things out of pride? Are you humble or are you prideful? Think about that for a second. I mean, these are things. We have to judge ourselves. I'm not pointing no finger at nobody. I'm thinking about this for me. I have to ask myself, now, do, is, is, are you showing love? Are you operating in love? Or is, is that your pride? Because if it's pride, you acting like your daddy. And your daddy is not Jehovah. You are operating in your flesh. You're operating against God. And you're acting like not your heavenly father, but you're about to let the devil be your daddy. <laughs> the devil is a lie. Ain't none of my daddy. I've been born from above. And so I'm going to manifest love. But, but, but you're so full of hate. How are you going to manifest love and you're full of hate? Hang on to that question. Hang on to that question. And while you're thinking about it, just in case, let me go, let me go back. Let me go back. Let me go back. I, I want I want to go back to my notes and see if I can find it real quick. 
I want us to re- make sure. Look, I still got them here. Hatred is to be alienated, to be unloving, to be untrustworthy. The desire to have no contact or relationship with another. A hater is a person who is withholding love. A hater is a person who is withholding love. He is not allowing the blessings of God, the love of God to flow through him or her to reach another. But instead, he is saying, I ain't giving you nothing, and I'm going to treat you with contempt. I'm going to give you what I want. I'm I'm, going to feed you bitterness. I'm not going to feed you kindness. I'm going to be impatient with you. You know, love is patient. Mm -hmm. Go to Corinthians 13. All those attributes of love, if you are not allowing them to flow through, you're a hater. You're a hater. Here. You're a hater if you bear grudges. You're a hater if you withhold love. You're a hater if you deny marital rights. You're a hater if you declare or designate people or groups of people as the enemy. You're a hater if you disregard, reject, dislike, even if you don't have plans to do them harm. If you disregard them, if you reject them, or you dislike them, and you ain't got nothing for them, that's, that's, that's a quick way to say, I ain't got nothing for you. If you're one of them, you're a hater. And you're allowing yourself to operate in Satan. In Satan. Now, let's keep going. If you fail to pray for and do good to those who declare your, themselves as your enemy, oh, come on, preacher. I'm just going to tell the truth. If, this is what, this is what the words say. If you fail to pray for or do good to those who declare themselves as your enemies. So they say, I hate him. If they say they hate you, you can't hit them back. Not, a, not in the kingdom. No. If you fail to discipline your children, you're a hater. If you love evil, falsehood, false ways, and don't keep your word, you're a hater. If you don't love your brothers and sisters, and I'm talking about the natural ones as well as the ones that you that have been born again, you're a hater. You're a hater if you bring empty worship. You're a hater if you got a me, 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 forget the rest of you attitude. You're a hater. Those are just symptoms that you can, as you say, if you put them on yourself and you say, and you say of yourself, yeah, I can see myself right there, then what you are doing is you are allowing hatred to manifest within you that leads you into pride because you're rejecting the word of God and you are saying that your way or no way, not God's way. And what did did we cover off early on? Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Mm -hmm. So stop for a minute. Stop for a minute. Stop for a minute. Because we're dealing with Absalom and we're dealing with ourselves. And we've already said that Absalom 
is an arrogant, high-minded individual who thinks he's better than everybody else and he's privileged and it's his way or the highway and he's going to manipulate his way. He's going to, he acts like Satan. He does the same thing that Satan did and in the end, he's going to get the same thing that Satan got. Dwell on that for a minute. Dwell on that for a minute. So he gets back into the king's graces. The king recognizes him. I'm at the end of chapter 14. I ain't going to leave you hanging. I won't leave you hanging. I won't leave you hanging. Go to 15. I'm going to take, take another five minutes, and then we're going to uh, go into a little something. In the course of time, because what I want to do is I want to set this picture of how his arrogance grows and how his hatred is setting him up for this fall. Because Absalom, now he's back at the king's table. He's eating the king's food. He's back in line to be king. But he ain't satisfied. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Just Satan seeks to take. Just like Satan seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. Absalom, because David opened the door to this sin to come into his family just because David opened the door for this sin to come into his family. Verse 15. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. Isn't that some pretty boy? King's not supposed to have this stuff. King's not supposed to have these horses. King's not supposed to have this entourage running around there and like you know, like the like NBA players coming in with the entourage. Like all these important people that gotta have all these bodyguards and stuff. And I'm not going up in the church house and messing with some of these folk with all these bodyguards. I ain't never seen such where everybody got to have a bodyguard and everybody got to have, you know, all these armor bearers and stuff. Who beating the preachers up? I don't understand that. If, if, if that's what you do, that's fine, but I just don't understand that. And I, don't, I don't know. I, maybe I'm just old. Who knows? In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot, and according to the law, he wasn't supposed to do this, and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with the complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge to the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me and I would see that he gets justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, 
Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Let me reread that verse 5. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. So instead of the person coming to seek justice, kissing Absalom's hand, Absalom pretended to be the servant of the people, and he would reach out and kiss the person as if there was something that he was was going, as, if there, as if there was some kind of affection or some kind of concern for the other person. Absalom, with his manipulative self, is stealing the hearts of the people because he wants that kingdom, and he's not going to wait. He's going to take it. Doesn't that look satanic? All because hatred and hatred's friends, pride, arrogance, strife, rejection of God, and rebellion have all moved in because hatred opened up the door. Let's stop for a minute. We're going to stop the scripture right there, and we're going to talk to ourselves tonight. How do we deal with our own personal pride? How do we deal with the lovelessness, which is a fancy way of saying the hatred that we've allowed in our lives? Now, all of us, all of us, all of us, all of us, I've got a problem with that. All of us have a problem with that. Yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. And in America, we definitely have a problem with hatred. Black folk hating white folk and white folk hating black folk and uh, everybody, a, a whole bunch of folk hating Mexicans and immigrants and and even though all of us are some kind of immigrant anyway, whether we can't, you know, we, when not, the only one who's here was the Native Americans. But we've all allowed this hatred to bring division. And then we got the Baptists against the Catholics and, and the Catholics against this, that, and the other. And then, you know, even within the evangelicals, you've got, you know, uh, the Baptists versus the Pentecostals and the Pentecostals versus the Church of God and Christ and Episcopalians and the Presbyterians can't get along and, and all of this mess, this hatred, this doctrinal hatred that has led to all of these divisions. And I can go on and on. I don't like my brother because he did such and such a thing to me when we were three years old, and I really don't remember it, but somebody told me that he did it, and so I don't get along with him, and I don't, my, I, I can't get along with this one right here, my uncle, and ah, uh, just hatred manifesting everywhere, and how and what can we do? Well, the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, 
but mighty through God, good to the pulling down of strongholds. Matthew 18, 18 tells us that we have the power of binding and loosing. Look, turn over there real quick, real quick. Because, see, there are some things, and when we talk about binding and loosing, we're talking about things that we don't allow on earth will not be allowed in heaven, and things that we loose on earth or allow on earth will be allowed in heaven. So what we're doing when we're talking about binding and loosing is we're talking about aligning ourselves with what is going on in heaven. And so we need to bind that spirit of hatred, that spirit of pride that is within us. Because mm-hmm. we quick to bind something that's on somebody else. But when we talk about our repentance and what we're going to allow within us, uh, we, don't, we don't do that so easy. Uh-uh, no. No. And God has given us the power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Ephesians tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, power, spiritual weakness in high places. That's what we're told to do. So we have to begin to pray. And so tonight what I want us to do is I want us to bind that spirit of hatred and cast and renounce him and cast him out. Bind that spirit of pride and, and, and cast him out and renounce those ways. And loose on ourselves a spirit of love. That's what I'm going to do over the next minute or so. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Come on, pray with me now. We thank you that you expose the spirit of pride and the spirit of hatred that tries to reside within us and lead us and lead us to our own destruction. We can as And as we come to you today, God, we come repenting for allowing hatred and pride to be present in our lives. We renounce hatred. We renounce pride. We bind them in the name of Jesus. And we cast them out of our life and we command them to leave us and to go away place and await the judgment of God. Father, we bind them in the name of Jesus by the authority that you have given us. We say that they have no hold over us any longer. And we loose, O oh God, a spirit of humility upon ourselves. We loose, O oh God, a spirit of humility that allows us to humble ourselves in the presence of God. Father, even though you know the things that we want and the things that we strive for, we humble ourselves before you. And we ask that you, O God, would loose that spirit of humility upon us. We further ask you, O God, to loose upon us and we loose loose a spirit of love that allows us to to minister and bless our brothers, our sisters, our neighbors, and all those who are around us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would release 
the fire from heaven that would burn out all the impurities that are in our life, those impurities of hatred and, and those impurities of pride that have, and cleanse us from them. Oh, we thank you and we praise you for your promises. We don't want to be like Absalom. We want to be like your son. We thank you, O oh God, that you are conforming us to the very image of your son. And even though right now we don't know what we look like, what we'll look like, we know that we'll be like him. So we thank you for that, O oh God, and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that'll do it for us tonight. I pray that you would go and you would just go back and reread those scriptures and you know, the ones that I've talked with you about tonight, and that you would apply, that you would continue to submit yourself unto God. I bless you. I thank you for being with us tonight on The Word on Wednesday. Next week we will continue on with Absalom, and we're going to see that pride does come before destruction and that haughty spirit before fall. But for us, not so, because we have been seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And right now, we are anointed to be lovers, not haters. God bless you. See you next week. Have a good evening.